Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom, friends. Thank you so much for being here. We're excited to learn with you on this very unique, uh, very unique topic today. Um, we also hope you will join us um, uh, tomorrow for our series on kindness and starting in just two weeks uh, for our series on moral philosophy. Also this Thursday is Rabbi Avi Weiss, uh, Activating the Soul, Lighting a Fire Within. Many, many opportunities to learn. And today with Dr. Joseph Benatov on Jewish Bulgaria, a virtual Sephardic journey. Um, I think you're in for a treat and it's perfect that we are on Erev Purim. We're on our way into Purim to, to experience the joy of Purim, uh, leading in through the joy of this learning today. Uh, Joseph Benatov holds a doctorate in comparative literature from the University of Pennsylvania, where he teaches Hebrew. He has written on competing national narratives of the saving of the Bulgarian Jews during World War II, Jewish identity politics in Philip Roth's early fiction, and the sensationalism of U.S. representations of life behind the Iron Curtain. He has translated fiction, poetry, and drama, including several plays staged to wide acclaim in Sofia, Bulgaria. He's also the English translator of the contemporary Bulgarian novel, Zift. Every summer, <clears throat> Dr. Benatov leads Jewish heritage trips to the Balkans. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, incredibly eclectic and profound scholar we have here with us today. As usual, we'll hear his presentation and then have the chance to engage with him in a back and forth. Of course, you can always type in the chat questions or thoughts you have along the way. Welcome, Dr. Benatov. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Rabbi Shmuley. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. And uh, I'm very grateful uh, to be together with you this afternoon and to share some of, of my research and, and knowledge on the Jewish history of, of uh, Bulgaria. I do have a PowerPoint presentation to guide us along and I will put it up on the screen. Can everyone see my first slide? Yeah, excellent. Um, so what I wanted to do today is in the first half of our lecture, I want to give you a historical overview of the long history of Jewish presence in Bulgaria. And then in the second half of our meeting, I want to invite you on a virtual tour of some of the present day locations in Bulgaria, both of Jewish significance and of uh, general importance as well. So to get us started, here on a map, uh, you can situate Bulgaria in southeastern Europe in the heart of the Balkan Peninsula, former uh, Ottoman lands, and we'll speak of this Ottoman history uh, soon. But when we speak about Jewish presence in Bulgaria, it's important to note that the earliest Jewish communities to have lived in Bulgarian lands actually predate the establishment of Bulgaria as a state by quite a few centuries. The earliest archaeological evidence of, a, of an organized Jewish community is this uh, stone tablet that you see on your left. It dates back to the second century of the common era. It comes from a Roman settlement in present-day Bulgaria uh, by the name of Ulpia Escus on the southern banks of the Danube River. And this was the first uh, community that we know of to have lived on Bulgarian lands. And these were the so-called Romaniot Jews, meaning Jews of the Roman Empire. And of course, Romaniot Jews existed in other uh, regions of the Balkan Peninsula, not only in present-day Bulgaria. Another uh, evidence of the presence of these Romaniot community, communities comes just a century later from the second largest city in Bulgaria today, the town of Plovdiv, where in archaeological 
excavations, uh, researchers found the remains of a beautiful mosaic floor, which was the mosaic floor of a Romaniot synagogue. And you see that floor displayed on your right. It is on exhibit today at the Archaeological Museum uh, of Plovdiv. And on the left, you see a model replica of what that third century uh, CE synagogue likely looked like. Now, once Bulgaria emerged on the state as an independent nation in the seventh century of the current era, we get additional evidence of uh, Jewish presence and, and uh, significant and influential Jewish communities in the Bulgarian capital. One such moment comes from the second half of the ninth century when Bulgaria was looking for uh, uh, looking to adopt a national script. And as the Cyrillic alphabet was uh, designed and devised by the Salonika-born brothers Cyril and Methodius, whom you see on the statue on your right, they, of course, based that alphabet primarily on the Greek alphabet. However, a couple of consonants uh, which did not exist in the Greek alphabet Cyril and Methodius borrowed directly from Hebrew. Uh, if you look at the second letter of the alphabet here at the top left, this is the consonant B, which is in a sense a mirror image of the Hebrew bet. The letter Th or the T-S-T-Z sound is also based on the Hebrew Tzadi. And then probably most Evident and most obvious is the consonant sh, the sh sound, which is essentially the Hebrew shin. From that same moment of the second half of the ninth century, the Bulgarian king Boris I was also looking to adopt a monotheistic religion for the previously uh, pagan uh, nation. And we have evidence that King Boris I was seriously considering all three monotheistic religions, uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And we do know that Judaism was a very serious contender for Bulgaria's national religion from a long letter that King Boris I sent to Pope Nicholas in Rome. And in that letter, the king listed about 111 or 115 questions to the Pope. And many of those questions were essentially halachically informed queries where the king was asking uh, a, 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 a big range of uh, halachic questions, whether the Sabbath should be observed on a Saturday or a Sunday proper ways of slaughtering meat, proper animals that could be eaten, uh, and other such questions clearly attesting to the influence of, of Jews in uh, Bulgaria's court. Now, of course, Bulgaria essentially adopted the Christian religion, and down the road, Bulgaria became an East Orthodox Christian nation. Moving uh, further along in history to the medieval period, from the 14th century, we have an interesting moment from Bulgarian history with a Jewish connection. At the time of the 14th century, the Bulgarian capital was the town of Veliko Turnovo. And in that capital, Turnovo, uh, Bulgaria's ruler, Ivan Alexander, whom you see in this uh, illuminated manuscript uh, in front of you, Ivan Alexander was married to Queen uh, Theodora, but around the year 1345 or so, he apparently fell in love with a young Jewish woman by the name of Sarah. Uh, he divorced his first wife. He banished her to a nearby nunnery and instead married 
uh, Queen Sarah, the daughter of a Venetian merchant, um, who became the king's second wife. She, of course, had to convert to Christianity, uh, adopted the name of Theodora, strangely, the name of the first wife, and their firstborn son, Ivan Shishman, the person here in the middle on that image, Ivan Shishman became the last Bulgarian ruler of the capital, Ternovo, before the Ottoman conquest of the late uh, 1300s. Here is a modern day image of Veliko Ternovo, a very beautiful town and one of the highlights of, of uh, any Jewish tour of Bulgaria, in my opinion. More images from the uh, artisan street in Ternovo. When we speak of the Ottoman conquest, indeed, uh, from the late 1300s, for the next 500 years, Bulgaria was part of the Ottoman Empire, did not exist as an independent nation. And that period, in terms of Jewish history, is a significant turning point in the subsequent history of Jewish communities of Bulgaria and neighboring communities of the Balkans. And this was, of course, due to the expulsion of the Iberian Jews from Spain and Portugal. After those expulsions of, of 1492 and 1497, large numbers of the so-called Eastern Sephardim traveled through the Mediterranean basin, following those red arrows that you can see, and many of them settled in the Ottoman Empire, establishing for the first time Sephardic communities in the region. Of course, these uh, Eastern Sephardim settled in the large, large uh, metropolitan centers of the Ottoman Empire. Saloniki or Thessaloniki became a majority Jewish city for the next uh, several centuries. Uh, large Sephardic communities were also established in Istanbul or Constantinople, in Izmir, in Edirne. But some of those Sephardic Jews, after they arrived, they moved further inland, establishing for the first time smaller Sephardic communities in towns in present-day Bulgaria, in uh, Belgrade, in present-day Serbia, in Sarajevo in Bosnia, and so forth. From that early Sephardic period of the first arrival of, of Sephardic Jews, one of the most important uh, rabbis to have lived in on uh, Bulgar now Bulgarian lands is Rabbi Yosef Karo. He arrived with his family from Spain, and for a period of about 12 years, Yosef Karo lived in the town of Nikopol in northern Bulgaria today on the Danube, where he established a yeshiva called Beit Yosef. And in Nikopol, he actually started working on his monumental work, Beit Yosef. Of course, in its uh, abridged and, and more popular version, that book became Shulchan Aruch, the code of, of Jewish halachic law, uh, which is used uh, to the present day. And that's the cover uh, that you see on your right, the cover of Shulchan Aruch. Now, this town in Bulgaria today, Nikopol, where Rabbi Karo lived uh, for about 12 years or so, has a small park named Beit Yosef after the yeshiva that he established. And you can see here uh, school kids on a field trip visiting, visiting that park. Another prominent Sephardic rabbi from a later Ottoman period to have uh, lived in Bulgarian lands is Rabbi Eliezer Papo. Eliezer Papo was born in Sarajevo in 1785. He served for a period as the Sephardic rabbi of uh, Bucharest, the, the Sephardic community in Bucharest. And later, 
he arrived in a now Bulgarian town called Silistra on the southern bank of, of the Danube River. In Silistra, he became the head of the local community and Rabbi Eliezer Papo is, is uh, remembered to this day for having saved the town of Silistra from a cholera epidemic that, that erupted in 1828. He did that by isolating the sick to field hospitals in the outskirts of town, a sort of a, an early um, uh, quarantine idea. And uh, unfortunately, Rabbi Eliezer Papo himself died of cholera. And uh, in, later, in, in later periods, his grave in Silistra became an important pilgrimage site. And in the early 2000s, an Orthodox rabbi from Israel, Yoshayao Pinto, whom you see here in the image on the right, led an annual uh, pilgrimage to the to uh, Eliezer Papa's grave, partly because uh, Rabbi Pinto saw himself as a direct spiritual follower of Eliezer Papo. Eliezer Papo was also known in the uh, early 19th century as one of the important authors of so-called Musar literature or the literature of religious ethics. And his most important book uh, in that genre was the Pele Yoetz. You see the cover on the left. And that was also how Eliezer Papo himself was known. In the capital today, in, in, in Sofia, in Bulgaria, there is even a small street, as you can see, named after Eliezer Papo. And uh, it happens to be located right next to the American embassy in the capital. We now move to the town of Samokov in southwest Bulgaria today. During the Ottoman period, Samokov was the home of the most prominent and most affluent Sephardic dynasty. This was the Arie family. The Aries originated in Vienna. They were banished from Vienna uh, in the late 1700s. They arrived to the Ottoman Empire, initially settling in a town called Vidin, and then part of the family arrived from Vidin to Samokov, where they quickly built uh, a true industrial empire. The Arias dealt in metallurgy. Uh, they also had uh, textile factories. They had a system of uh, banks and exchange offices uh, prominent in the Ottoman Empire. And, the, uh, and members of the Arya family living in Samokov built um, a large number of very lavish and beautiful uh, homes or mansions for their families. One of these homes, one of the smaller ones, is unfortunately the only one standing today. And that's what you see in the image in front of you. It's the Arie uh, Museum or the Saravska House, as it is known. And it can be visited today. It, it, it chronicles the history of that prominent Sephardic family. And it has also a very interesting family tree on display at the, uh, at the museum. Here is actually one of our groups visiting uh, this museum a few years ago. Right next door to the Aria Museum is the dilapidated uh, 19th century synagogue. This was the synagogue that the Arias built for their extended family and for the Jewish community of Samokov. It's located right next door to the museum. It was, it was built in about 1861 or so. And, and exactly a hundred years later, that synagogue was badly damaged in a fire. Uh, at present, there is a project uh, aiming to restore it. And, and uh, there is discussion underway. Um, the municipality, as far as I know, is looking for funding, and hopefully this project will take place before, before the building collapses. One of the uh, 
important and well-educated members of the Arya family was Gabrielle Arya, whose autobiography and journal, as you can see, um, is available in English in an excellent uh, scholarly edition. If anybody is interested, I, I recommend that title. Now, as we move to the post-Ottoman period, this saw a turning point in the history of the Jewish, uh, of the Jewish community in Bulgaria. The Ottoman rule in Bulgaria ended in 1878. In those decades, the last decades of the 19th century and the early years of the 20th century saw several, um, several different types of transformation amongst the Jewish community. Most importantly, those Sephardic Jews who during the Ottoman period saw themselves as loyal Ottoman subjects and, and uh, identified as both Ottoman and Sephardim, over the next several decades quickly started assuming a new consciousness and, and started identifying for the first time as Bulgarian Jews. And, and this was a phenomenon that happened in neighboring countries and neighboring Jewish communities as well in the post-Ottoman realm and, and post-Ottoman period. Uh, <clears throat> Once Sofia became the capital of independent Bulgaria, a new synagogue was built. It was completed in 1909, and to this day it is one of two active synagogues in, in Bulgaria. On the left, one of the rabbis of the Jewish community in the, in the uh, 1920s, David Pipano. Um, if there is one movement and one sort of uh, intellectual concept to define the Bulgarian Jewish community in the post-Ottoman period, this is for sure uh, political Zionism. Political Zionism became the dominant ideology and organizational principle of Jewish life in Bulgaria starting in the late 1890s. Uh, some scholars claim that, that proto-Zionism had very strong roots in Bulgaria and was the reason why the Bulgarian Jewish community was one of the first ones to embrace uh, Zionism as a full-fledged ideology and to turn into a strongly and passionately Zionist Jewish community. And one person who has been credited with the spread of these early proto-Zionist ideas was the man on the left here in the image, Yosef Mar Marko Baruch. He arrived in Bulgaria in 1895, settling and living for a time in the town of Plovdiv. And it was thanks to Yosef uh, Marko Baruch's uh, activities and the establishment of an organization called Carmel that Plovdiv became a true hotbed of Zionism and, and the first Jewish community in Bulgaria to become very uh, fervently Zionist. On the right, you see an image of that same community in the town of Plovdiv. A few decades later, in uh, 1928, uh, eagerly awaiting the arrival of Nahum Sokolov, one of the uh, leaders of the uh, Zionist movement, as he was due to arrive for a visit in Plovdiv. This image. Uh, shows you the uh, the Bulgarian Jews mourning the death of Theodor Herzl and and uh, as uh, on on the day of his funeral, as you can see masses of Bulgarian Jews came out to express their their uh, sorrow for the passing of Theodor Herzl. This set of images gives you an idea of the different types of Zionist driven organizations that spread all over Bulgaria. These were 
youth movements, cultural clubs, uh, local branches of international Zionist organizations. And uh, Bulgarian Jews were so strongly Zionist as to even invent, in a sense, a new Zionist holiday, which was called Yom HaShekel, the day of the Shekel. And this is what you see in the image on the bottom uh, on the bottom left. It's uh, a group of Bulgarian Jews celebrating that holiday, the day of the Shekel, which Bulgarian Jews decided to uh, celebrate on Lagba Omer, every year on Lagba Omer. Jewish education was very strong and, and significant in the uh, uh, cohesive nature of, of the Jewish communities of Bulgaria. And one interesting phenomenon that took place in terms of Jewish education in Bulgaria was the gradual uh, overtaking of the system of Jewish schools by young Zionist activists of the Jewish community. And this overtake took place uh, as the previously dominant system of the French language Jewish schools, the Alliance Israelite Universelle, uh, that system was replaced by a new curriculum of, of uh, Hebrew language Jewish schools led and organized by those young uh, Zionist-minded local leaders of the community in Bulgaria. In this image on the left, you see the uh, Pasif family from Plovdiv together with uh, friends and neighbors in a group photo. And on the left, one of the important uh, historians and chroniclers of, of uh, the Jewish community of Bulgaria, a man by the name of Binyamin Arditi, who was active politically and also upon immigrating to Israel, he was the editor of an important four-volume collection of uh, the biographies of prominent Bulgarian Jews. Purim celebrated in Bulgaria uh, at, in uh, different communities. And this image is an interesting one. This is a Yiddish theater troupe from the town of Russe on the Danube, where, of course, in addition to the Sephardic community, there was a separate, sizable Ashkenazi community as well. And this is a theater troupe uh, getting ready to perform a Shalom Aleichem play. Now, this was the last uh, historical image in my uh, brief historical overview. And at this point, I want us to embark on uh, a tour, a virtual tour of uh, present-day Bulgaria with a Jewish focus in mind. Here we are back at the Sofia synagogue, but this time a present-day image. The Sofia synagogue is a beautiful uh, early 20th century neo-Moorish structure. It was designed and, and uh, ornamented in the uh, prevalent style of, of uh, Jewish synagogues from the late second half of the 19th, early 20th century, the, the new Moorish synagogues. Um, it was also renovated in the 2000s. So what you see here is the synagogue back in its original glory after um, a years long renovation. A close-up of that chandelier and an outside view of the Sofia synagogue. And here you see the Jewish community gathered at, at Hanukkah at the synagogue. It's a, uh, because the Bulgarian Jewish community is, is Sephardic, it's a traditional Sephardic uh, Orthodox synagogue, which today, as you can see, means that men sit on the right and women sit on the left. A Jewish tour of Sofia continues with a stop in front of these important, uh, a set of three uh, plaques 
And these three monuments or plaques have uh, a complicated and controversial history. They were, they were initially put up in a, uh, a forest in Israel called the Bulgaria Forest, but the scandal erupted around these plaques and ultimately they were removed and transported to Bulgaria's capital where they were put back on display. The reason for that scandal was specifically the, uh, the plaque on the right, which uh, mentions Bulgaria's ruler during World War II, King Boris III, together with his wife, Joanna or Giovanna, both of them are being thanked in this monument for the survival of Bulgaria's Jewish community during the Holocaust. And I will explain in a second briefly what was the reason for that controversy. Next to the uh, previous monument that we saw, the one on the left is the so-called Jewish monument. It's located very close to the other one in the very heart of the city center. As you can see, it also has a uh, sister monument or a twin monument on display in Israel on the Tel Aviv uh, promenade close to the border with Jaffa. And, and the monument in Sofia on the left is also meant to commemorate and, and remember the events of the Holocaust, the events of World War II. And, and that history uh, involves both the survival of all 50,000 Bulgarian Jews during the Holocaust, but also the deportation and destruction of almost 11,400 Jews from Greece and neighboring uh, Yugoslav Macedonia who were deported to their death in Treblinka by the Bulgarian authorities. And this was, of course, the reason for the controversy around the previous monument. Here on this image, you actually see this is our group visiting Bulgaria last summer. And this image is right next to the Jewish monument, which we saw in the city center. Now, a very brief, I'll try very briefly to explain what took place in Bulgaria during World War II and why this is a complicated story, both of survival and of destruction. In 1940, as World War II had started, Bulgaria, while still neutral, uh, passed anti-Semitic legislation. Uh, and as this anti-Semitic legislation was debated in parliament before it was voted, unusually and unexpectedly for the government, there was massive outcry and opposition directed at this proposed anti-Semitic bill. And this opposition came from a very uh, broad spectrum of, of uh, different organizations, such as the Doctors Union, the Lawyers Union, the Union of Bulgarian Writers. All of these groups together with others sent in letters of protest uh, to the government, to the prime minister, uh, decrying this proposed anti-Semitic legislation. It's important to note that part of that wave of, of strong public opposition uh, was the Bulgarian East Orthodox Church. What you see in front of you is the ruling body of the church, the synod, who also came out with an official statement uh, criticizing the government's proposed anti-Semitic legislation. Despite that opposition, the, the, the law was, was uh, adopted. And from 1941 until the end of the war, Bulgaria's Jewish community was subjected to a set of very harsh uh, restrictions and, and Jewish persecution, both in financial, uh, economic, educational, and, and uh, uh, aspects of, of uh, private life as well. 
what you see in front of you is the establishment of uh, labor units or our uh, work camps where Bulgarian Jewish men had to perform in some ways the equivalent of military service uh, conducting hard physical labor uh, during nine months of each year, except for the winter months when these units were disbanded. In March of 1941, Bulgaria became a German ally. You see the prime minister and the king jointly making that decision. And right after Bulgaria became a German ally, in April of 1941, Germany invaded neighboring Yugoslavia and neighboring Greece, quickly defeated both of these countries, and Bulgaria, as the new regional ally, was given two territories which Bulgaria had been trying to, uh, to gain for the past uh, half century almost. These territories were Yugoslav Macedonia. So as Yugoslavia was divided, the Bulgarian occupied zone was Yugoslav Macedonia and also a part of Serbia around the town of Pirot. And from Greece, the Bulgarian occupied zone was northeastern Greece along the Aegean seacoast. In terms of Jewish presence in uh, Yugoslav Macedonia and Greek Thrace, the two territories under Bulgarian occupation, there were about 11,500 Greek and Macedonian Jews now under Bulgarian control. Together with the 50,000 Bulgarian Jews in pre-war Bulgaria, that meant that a total of 60,000 Jews were in Bulgarian controlled territory. And uh, in 1942, active measures started being uh, made for their deportation. Bulgaria's official in charge was uh, Alexander Belev on the left, together with his counterpart, uh, Theodore Daneker on the right. They designed in February of 1943, the notorious, they signed the notorious Belev-Daneker agreement, which called for the deportation of 20,000 Jews from the newly occupied territories of Yugoslav Macedonia and Greek Thrace uh, to the Eastern provinces. Now, of course, the math did not add up. There were only 11,500 Greek and Yugoslav Jews in these territories, which meant that really this agreement uh, together with additional documents uh, included a, an additional eight and a half thousand Bulgarian Jews who also needed to be deported. And these deportations were scheduled for March of 1943. And indeed, in early March of 1943, first about over uh, 4,000 Greek Jews were rounded up and taken to transit camps in Bulgaria. Uh, a bit later in March, over 7,000 Macedonian Jews were rounded up and taken to uh, uh, a camp at the tobacco factory in Macedonia's capital, Skopje. And later that month in March, all of these Greek and Yugoslav Macedonian Jews were sent to Treblinka where they all perished. The total number of Greek and Macedonian Jews deported by the Bulgarian authorities is 11,343. And uh, it's, it's striking in my mind that we are meeting today in uh, during the first week of March, exactly 80 years after these deportations took place almost to the day. Uh, this is, it, it was really March was the crucial month of, of when these uh, events took place in 1943. 
This is the route. The Greek Jews were taken to two transit camps in southwest Bulgaria, where they spent about two weeks. Then they were put back on trains, taken to the port town of Lom on the Danube. Here uh, at the port of Lom, four river boats awaited them. They were put on these river boats and taken, were taken up the Danube to Vienna and from Vienna to Treblinka. The Macedonian Jews followed a different route from Skopje, where they were gathered. They were put on trains via Belgrade, again to Vienna, and from Vienna to Treblinka. And again, it's important to emphasize the point that it was the Bulgarian authorities who carried out those deportations, both of the Greek and the Macedonian Jews. The eight and a half thousand Bulgarian Jews who were part of the same uh, plan for, for deportations of March of 1943 were going to come from several towns, mostly in southwest Bulgaria. And one of these towns was Kustendil in southwest Bulgaria. In Kustendil, there were about 1,000 Jews living there. And they were all scheduled to be rounded up uh, on March 10th, together with other Bulgarian Jews. It was the Jews of Kustendil who found out what was in store for them. A delegation of local uh, friends of the Jewish community went to Sofia. They met with an important politician called Dimitar Peshev, who was the deputy speaker of parliament. And through a series of last-minute interventions on March 9th of 1943, those orders were cancelled or postponed at the very last moment. Peshev also wrote a very harsh letter the following week, criticizing the government's anti-Semitic persecution. And uh, one additional attempt to deport Bulgaria's Jews took place in May of 1943, when King Boris III, whom you see in front of you, was presented with a two-part plan. He could either choose to deport the remaining 50,000 Jews in Bulgaria to the Eastern provinces to their death, or alternatively, he could uh, the second part of that plan proposed that the Jews of the capital, 25,000 Jews of the capital, should be rounded up and evacuated to the Bulgarian countryside. And on, on May 20th of 1943, King Boris III chose the second option to send the Jews of Sofia to the Bulgarian countryside, which ultimately resulted in the survival of all 50,000 Bulgarian Jews. And again, this is a very schematic and, and brief overview of a complex series of events, but not the main topic of today's uh, meeting. Back to our, uh, to our tour of, of Bulgaria. In the capital, this is a new monument. It's the monument of 20, uh, Bulgarians named as Righteous Among the Nations by Yad Vashem. It is on display in the courtyard of the public Jewish school in the capital. A couple of more images from the city center, Sofia. On the left is the Russian church, the National Theater on the right. Here on the left is the largest cathedral in the country, the Alexander Nevsky Cathedral. And we now travel quickly about uh, 100 miles uh, east from Sofia to the second largest city in Bulgaria, Plovdiv. Plovdiv, historically and today, uh, is home to the second largest community in the country. It also has the only other active synagogue besides the one in Sofia. As you can see, a smaller but, but very beautiful uh, uh, temple. A close-up at the Plovdiv synagogue. 
And this is the Jewish monument in Plovdiv commemorating those same events of, of March 10th of 1943, when the Jews of Plovdiv were uh, rescued at the last possible moment in that town, Jews were had actually been gathered for deportation and they were collected in the Jewish school courtyard where they spent uh, a hectic night and only the following morning they were freed and could return back to their homes. The old town of Plovdiv is a very beautiful uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. This is the promenade in the lower part of the city and uh, one of the old mosques in town on the right. One more image from Plovdiv. And this is our group, one of our groups in Plovdiv in front of the so-called uh, Together Monument. This is from the year when Plovdiv was named European Capital of Culture. We now travel to the northwest corner of Bulgaria, the town of Vidin on the Danube. Vidin was home to one of the large Jewish communities in the country and also had a very impressive late 19th century synagogue, which, as you can see, has been in terrible shape for the last several decades. But luckily, a renovation project was, uh, has been uh, funded by, by the European Union and other uh, Bulgarian uh, sources, and it is well underway. And that renovation is actually in its final stages as we speak. And once the synagogue has been fully restored, it will be named the Jules Paskin uh, Center, named after a Sephardic-born uh, Jew from Vidin, the famous uh, artist Jules Paskin. Here are a couple of images from the renovation. This is from a few months ago as they were working on the outside. Burgas on the Black Sea side was home to one of the uh, mid-sized Jewish communities in the country. The synagogue still stands today, but is an art museum or an art gallery. And this is the Rila Monastery, a very beautiful and, and, and the largest uh, monastery in Bulgaria. It's also the resting place of King Boris III, of whom we spoke. Another image from the Rila Monastery. The second largest monastery in Bulgaria is called Bachkovo, to the south of Plovdiv. And Bachkovo is also where two very prominent church officials were buried, both of them uh, posthumously declared as uh, righteous among the nations by Yad Vashem for uh, what they did during the war uh, to protect the Jews of Bulgaria. These are uh, Metropolitan or Bishop Kirill on the left and Bishop Stefan on the right. And this is Bishop Stefan's grave inside the church at the Bachkova Monastery. Outside of the Bachkova Monastery, there is a, a lively marketplace where you could buy uh, Bulgaria's famous spice called Chubritsa. And one of our last stops is the town of Kustendil, which we mentioned, and the museum dedicated to this very, very important Bulgarian politician, Dimitar Peshev, who was so instrumental, specifically on March 9th of 1943, in that crucial intervention that, that he initiated that day. And his museum has a beautiful display dedicated to his life and career. Uh, in recent years, he's been recognized internationally. This is a monument on the right in, in Sofia. In Israel, in Yafo, there is a, a square named after him. The plaque in the middle is in Kiev, in uh, Ukraine. And after the war, uh, soon after the war, about 42,000 of those 50,000 Bulgarian Jews who survived immigrated and mass to Israel. Many of them settled in Yafo, which 
quickly became known as Little Bulgaria. And here you see Rabbi Avram Bechar, who was known as Rabbi Avramiko, who became the community's rabbi. The uh, Maccabi Yafo or Maccabi Jaffa soccer team for decades had uh, players of Bulgarian descent. And uh, in the 60s, they were quite good. And finally, back in Bulgaria, in the heart of Bulgaria, there is a tiny strip of land known as the Valley of Roses, uh, a region where uh, rose oils producing rose oil, uh, ro roses producing rose oil are grown. And then Bulgaria is known as the leading exporter of uh, attar of roses. And uh, the time to visit Bulgaria, if you want to see these roses in bloom, is late May, early June. And uh, as Rabbi Shmuley mentioned, uh, I also organize and lead uh, annual Jewish heritage trips, both to Bulgaria and neighboring Salonika and also other parts of, of uh, the Sephardic Balkans. So if anybody's interested, you can take a look at our website and you can drop me an email if you'd like to join our uh, listserv. This is our upcoming schedule for this year, but we offer these tours uh, every summer around the same time. So uh, if you're interested, you can, uh, you can contact me. Uh, directly. And let me, this is all I had to share. I'll stop my, uh, I'll stop my PowerPoint. And uh, I hope I did not exceed my time limit by too much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Benatov. Um, we'd love to open it up to questions with the last few minutes that we have. So feel free to uh, raise your hand and then unmute and uh, either ask a question or, or say a comment. Hi, Paul. Oh, am I unmuted? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when you're talking about the deportation of the Greek and um, Yugoslav Macedonian Jews, I was thinking of the um, movie Stelna. I wonder whether you've seen that and if you could talk, say something about it in, in the reception to them. It was 1963, I think, a Bulgarian East German co-production. Yes, absolutely. So that, that that is the the probably the best known Bulgarian film uh, whose topic is precisely those events uh, of the Holocaust that we discussed. As the screenwriter is uh, a man uh, by the name of Angel Wagenstein, one of Bulgaria's leading and, and most important uh, screenwriters and and novelists. And uh, recently, recently. Uh, if I remember correctly, the, the, the film was either uh, digitized or, or made available on DVD. So it's, it's, uh, it's out there and I highly recommend it to anybody. It's, it's one, of the, one of the classics of Bulgarian cinema by one of the leading filmmakers of Jewish descent. So thank you for mentioning it. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Um... Thank you. This was really interesting. So my question is, how many Jews are there living now in Bulgaria? And do they have an infrastructure that you need for Jewish life? Like, are there schools? Is there a mikvah? Is there a shoichet, a moil? Like all the things that you need. Thanks. Thank you. Excellent question. Uh, today in Bulgaria, there are roughly uh, 4,000 Jews living in, in Bulgaria. Most of, them, most of them are concentrated in Sofia, in the capital. Plovdiv is home to the second largest community. And then there are smaller communities in regional towns. Um, the Bulgarian Jewish community is extremely active there are uh, Jewish Jewish uh, organizations and, and activities for all age groups in Bulgaria. Pres uh, presently, there are two Jewish schools in the capital, a public one and a private one. Uh, Ron Lauder uh, School is the private one. Mm. Uh, there is an active synagogue, as we discussed. There are two 
buildings of the Jewish Community Center where a lot of the activities take place. There is a, a wonderful uh, summer camp for kids uh, in the middle of summer, and it's the, one of the highlights of, of, you know, of Jewish life for, for that age group, and it's uh, very successful. And I'll also say that, that some of the leaders of the Jewish community and, and uh, uh, some of the Jewish professionals from the Jewish community have been very successful and have become uh, in some in some cases, you know, the directors of uh, uh, the JDC directors for the Joint Distribution Committee in in uh, different countries in the region. So somehow, uh, the last thirty years also produced a very capable generation of uh, Jewish professionals as well. And there is there is kosher food. There is everything you would expect. There is a mikveh at the synagogue. Absolutely. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? Paul, back to you. Um, do you know anything about the rate of intermarriage among Bulgarian Jews now and um, before the war? I'm just curious. As you would expect, uh, the rate of intermarriage is high currently. Uh, and again, in the post-war period, it, it has been uh, quite high. It's in some ways uh, inevitable and, and, and sort of a process that, you know, has been happening more broadly. And, and on that point, it's important to note that the community counts all of its members uh, non-halakhically. All members of each family are considered full members of the community, regardless of, of Jewish lineage and, and whether, you know, a parent or a grandparent is Jewish on either side. Uh, so, so again, that, that's how the community um, counts and, and, and accepts is me its members. Um, Pre-war, early 20th century, the rate of intermarriage was not that high. And again, pre-war, at the beginning of World War, Two, there were almost 50,000 Jews, whereas, you know, post-war, after the mass immigration to Israel, a much smaller number was, was left in Bulgaria, which, again, in some, some ways, intermarriage became much more natural and, and uh, a necessity, so to speak. I see there was, uh, I see Michael uh, has his hand up. How was the Jewish community in Bulgaria treated? Or what was their experience during the era of Soviet? During the years of Soviet dominance or during the communist period? During the communist period, uh, religion as a whole was, was frowned upon, so to speak. And this went for all three main religions in the country. So uh, active religious practice was discouraged in a variety of ways by by the authorities um which meant really that that the jewish community found alternative ways to gather and congregate and and continue jewish community life most of these activities had a uh a secular theme to them that you know members of the community would gather at the community center at the JCC rather than at the synagogue, the topic or the occasion or the holiday would not be uh, a religious one, even though in the 60s there were uh there was a famous sort of uh Purim uh, uh ball in a sense or a, a Purim uh, gathering that took place every every year and it was apparently a very wild wild event uh but but on other occasions again community gatherings continued to take place in a secular framework so to speak and i know i want to be respectful of everyone's time there was one last question that came in in the chat if we have time to address it quickly which was do the jews in bulgaria today suffer from anti-semitic sentiment in the country i would say there uh, my my assessment is that 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 there isn't 
widespread or uh, a high degree of anti-Semitism. This is, of course, not to say that there haven't been sporadic anti-Semitic incidents. There have been both in recent past and in earlier periods as well. Uh, but overall, in terms of, of uh, the population at large, I, I would not say that, that there is any strong anti-Semitic sentiment in the country. Uh, quite the contrary, in my opinion. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Benatov. This has been really, really interesting. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Um, as Rabbi Shmuley mentioned, we have another program on Thursday, so hope you can all join us for that. And hope everybody has a great uh, Purim. Chag Sameach. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.